This is what totalitarianism looks like. As the news of the tragic death of Alexei Navalny broke, another headline was chasing right behind. Donald Trump isn't Alexei Navalny. He wasn't poisoned or beaten or tortured, then left to die in a Siberian gulag. We aren't under the control of a dictator like Vladimir Putin. But there's no getting around the ugly truth that none of this would happen if Biden weren't trailing Trump in the polls. For podcast listeners, a tweet from Molly Hemingway, insane pair of headlines about the ways powerful leaders fight their political opposition here and abroad. And an image of the front page of the Wall Street Journal, Trump ordered to pay $355 million, and underneath it, top Putin critic Navalny dies in prison. News of Navalny's death sent shockwaves through both sides of the political aisle, as each tried to grapple with the many conflicts we're now facing, the war in Ukraine and the war on Donald Trump. But it's the Democrats whose actions of late were put into the spotlight. A tweet from Molly Hemingway. Much of the media and other Democrats who have perpetuated cheered-on attempts to imprison their top political opponent are deeply uncomfortable at self-introspection on a day like today. No one wants to confront the evil of attempts to imprison political opponents. And Lee Zeldin, as the world reflects on the murder of Alexei Navalny at the hands of Putin, it's worth remembering that Democrats are actively doing Biden's bidding as they also try to imprison their chief political opponent, Donald Trump, remove him from the ballot, and ensure he dies in prison. Only one political party is actively trying to jail its primary political opponent, has thrown political protesters in solitary confinement, and violated the First Amendment by censoring speech on social media. For podcast listeners, a tweet from Julie Kelly 1,300 Americans who protested Biden's election, investigated, arrested, charged, and put on trial in a city that voted 92% for Joe Biden, then convicted and sentenced to harsh prison terms, even for low-level misdemeanors. How would they shapeshift their way out of this problem? It's easy. They don't even respect the people enough to be honest with them. Instead, they rationalize it. Trump committed actual crimes, they said. Trump's the one who chanted, lock her up, they insist, as if chanting is the same as doing. Similarly, most Russians believe Navalny committed actual crimes, because that's the power of taking complete control of the media narrative. Putin charged him as an extremist and with fraud, just as our government has done to Trump. Podcast listeners, two headlines. Alexei Navalny given nine-year jail term after being found guilty on fraud charges. And... Russia's Navalny defends himself over extremism charges. What has our corrupt kangaroo court charged Trump with to throw him in jail or convict him of a felony before the election? Extremism and fraud. That our media and our public are being duped the same way Russians are is an embarrassment for a country that claims to be a beacon of democracy. For podcast listeners, a tweet from Hillary Clinton I'm leaving Munich today with a lot of great memories from Munich Security Conference, feeling energized about the global battle for democracy. We've got to make the stakes clear to voters around the world. Democracy can be messy and frustrating, but it's endlessly preferable to the alternative. Let's fight for it. What a farce. How shameless can they possibly be after what they did before, during, and after the Trump presidency? 
The lies flowed freely on Twitter from self-important politicians like Eric Swalwell and Alexander Vindman. Says Swalwell, let Navalny's death be a warning to America. If returned to power, Donald Trump will jail his opponents. This isn't a forecast. He has already told us this. There will be no evidence or due process and certainly no opposition from Republicans in Congress. And from Alexander Vindman, Navalny's murder is a cautionary tale for the United States. If Trump wins the 2024 election, he won't be a dictator for just a day. We will seek reprisals against opposition. Thankfully, real journalists like Matt Taibbi and Michael Schellenberger are hot on the trail to uncover the long con perpetrated on the American public for a decade. Podcast listeners, a headline from Michael Schellenberger. Obama partisan wrote false 2017 Russia intelligence assessment, says Insider. House intelligence reports that debunked the 2017 intelligence community assessment on Russian election interference was written by introverted, wonky, and nerdy professionals, not political hacks. After Russiagate in the 2020 election, many of us simultaneously came at the story from different angles. We were like the characters in Close Encounters of the Third Kind, who all see the same shape of Devil's Tower, but have no idea what it means until the end. I started this substack in 2020, not just to make sense of what was happening to me and the left overall, but to be able to speak my mind freely without having to self-censor for fear of attacks and reprisals. I could see they rigged the 2020 election and that Trump won Ohio, Florida, and Iowa. I was on track to win had it not been for the bags and bags of mail-in ballots. Here is Matt Taibbi and Walter Kern getting close to solving the nagging questions about what was happening in this country that none of us could make any sense of. And I cut myself off from what I was going to say. I, I was saying, you know, looking at this, I, my, my breath is taken away by the ability of, let's call them Entity X, above John Brennan, perhaps, or with John Brennan or whoever, to drive a mega narrative down through the system, out through almost all arms of, you know, what we might call the media industrial complex, forward through time, and really create a universe out of an initial match strike. I mean, in other words, somebody has real power over, you know, and you, computer scientists love to talk about things called emergent properties, things that just sort of are cascade effects. They just happen kind of by themselves. But you're getting back to the Big Bang here. You're getting precious close to somebody giving an order. It probably won't ever quite be that, but right. But it, the, at least the, the, the tip mm -hmm. of the pyramid of uh, of events is getting pretty sharp and pretty narrow. Um, and moving back in time, it's getting even narrower. Right. So, so there's some conversation in late 2015, early 2016 that will clarify all this. Yes, I think. Right. Yes. Uh, and and you know now now that we've put this out. Maybe somebody will be motivated to tell us that we were wrong, which I'm fine with, you know? What, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm starting to wonder what would be the falsifying 
what could a falsifying piece of evidence even consist of? Um, well, some, let, let, let's say they coming, had real evidence. Someone coming forward with this document that they said, we've never wanted to talk about this. We've never wanted to show this. Sources and methods are so sensitive on this one. But here, here is Donald Trump talking to somebody over the phone about how right. him and Putin are going to take over the world. Yeah, his red phone with, with the FSB or whatever it is, right? Um, if they have that, great, you know, great, show it to us. I mean, that's all I've ever wanted from the, from the beginning. When they banned Trump from Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube, I knew that something had gone terribly wrong between the time I got online in 1994 and now. Not only wasn't this the country I grew up in anymore, but it wasn't the internet I'd built half my life on. And it wasn't until this astonishing video with Mike Benz and Tucker Carlson that the gaps were finally filled and the big picture took shape. From their perspective, they, they just weren't ready for the internet. 2016 was really the first time that social media had reached such maturity that it began to eclipse legacy media. I mean, this was a long time coming. I think folks saw this building from 2006 through 2016. You know, uh, Internet 1.0 didn't even have social media. From 1991 right. to 2004, there was no social media at all. 2004, Facebook came out. 2005, Twitter. 2006, YouTube. 2007, the smartphone. And so, and in that initial period of social media, nobody was getting subscriberships at the level where they actually competed with legacy news media. But over the course of being, you know, so initially even these dissident voices within the U.S., uh, even though they, they may have been loud uh, in moments, they, they never reached 30 million followers. They never reached, you know, um, a, a billion impressions a year type thing. as a uncensored, mature ecosystem allowed citizen journalists and independent voices to be able to outcompete legacy news media. This induced a massive crisis both in our military and in our State Department and intelligence services. When we imagine dictators like Vladimir Putin and Xi Jinping taking complete control of the media message, we all falsely believe it couldn't happen here. But it has happened here. Benz explains how the Department of Defense took control of the Internet once it saw its power to mobilize uprisings worldwide. The whole push after the 2016 election and after Brexit and after a couple of other, you know, social media run elections that went the wrong way from what the State Department wanted, like the 2016 Philippines election, uh, was to completely invert everything that we described as being the underpinnings of a democratic society in order to deal with the threat of free speech on the Internet. And what they essentially said is, we need to redefine democracy from being about the will of the voters to being about the sanctity of democratic institutions. And who are the, inst the democratic institutions? Oh, it, it's us. You know, it's the military. It's NATO. It's the IMF and the World Bank. It's 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 uh, it's the mainstream media. Uh, who uh, it is the NGOs. And oh, the, of course, these NGOs are largely State Department funded or IC funded. It's essentially all of the elite establishments. Uh, that were under threat from domestic, the rise of domestic populism that declared their own consensus to be the new definition of democracy. Because if you define democracy as being the strength of democratic institutions, 
rather than a focus on the will of the voters, then what you're left with is essentially democracy is just the consensus building architecture within the, within the democratic institutions themselves. And from their perspective, that takes a lot of work. And this is what this whole branding effort was. And of course, democracy, again, has that magic regime change predicate where democracy is, is our magic watchword to be able to overthrow governments from the ground up in a sort of color revolution style whole of society effort to topple a, a, gov a democratically elected government from the inside. And they took that special set of skills home and now it's here perhaps potentially to stay. And this has fundamentally changed the, the nature of American governance because of the threat of you know, one small voice becoming popular on social media. They weren't just interested in compliance. They wanted hearts and minds. Just like in 1984, it wasn't enough to obey Big Brother. You have to love Big Brother. It wasn't just the media, it was social media. Now I know why I was handpicked to attend the Joe Biden fundraiser in May of 2019, and why Neera Tandon admonished me in my Twitter DMs when I started speaking out about the blatant hypocrisy I could all of a sudden see on my own side. For podcast listeners, a tweet conversation between me and Neera Tandon. She says, Sasha, if Trump is reelected, our democracy will end. Feel free to yell at liberals as much as you want after the election. I said, yes, but the way to save America is to be the better side. Why would we spend a whole day shaming Trump for driving around and greeting his fans? when the stimulus bill failed again. She says, the way to save America is to win. I was sick with COVID. You're not supposed to go out when you have the virus because you can infect people. I said, I used to think that. I'm voting for Biden no matter what, but the Democratic Party is headed in the wrong direction. She said, is this a hard concept? Oh my God, okay, I'm unfollowing. You've changed. I said, I understand. You will see in 2024 when the GOP takes all three branches. I have changed because we have changed. Hillary was the target in 2016 and it was just as bad then. She says, you are looking at an upside down America. I don't know what to say to someone who sees a majority forming against hate and decides this is the time to kick the defenders of democracy. Good luck. It always seems strange that she even knew who I was. But now, thanks to Ben's, I know they were mapping all social circles online. That's how they were able to censor Trump supporters. This was especially chilling regarding their campaign for mail-in ballots, which they planned long in advance. Now, they did this seven months before the election, because at the time they, they were worried about the perceived legitimacy of a Biden victory in the case of a so-called red mirage blue shift event. They, they knew the only way that Biden would be able to was, would win mathematically uh, was through the disproportionate Democrat use of mail-in ballots. They knew there would be a crisis because it was going to look extremely weird if, if Trump looked like he won by seven states. In Nova, you know, uh, and then three days later, it comes out, actually, the election switch. I mean, that, that would put the election crisis of the Bush-Gore election uh, on a level of steroids that the national security state said, well, the, the, the public will not be prepared for. So what we need to do is we need to, in advance, we need to pre-censor the ability to even question the legitimacy. This took out. Wait, wait. May, may I ask you to pause right there? So, what you're saying is, what you're suggesting is, they knew the outcome of the election seven months before it was held. It looks very bad. 
certainly what they <laughs> yes, did is... it. Yes, Mike, it does look very bad. <laughs> uh, you know, and especially when you combine this with the fact that this is right on the heels of the impeachment, the Pentagon-led, CIA-led impeachment. You know, it was uh, Eric Cimarella from the CIA, and it was the Vinmins from the Pentagon uh, who led the impeachment of Trump in late 2019 over, uh, you know, an alleged phone call around withholding Ukraine aid. This same network, which came straight out of the Pentagon uh, hybrid warfare network, uh, military censorship network created after the first, you know, Ukraine crisis in 2014, were the lead architects of the uh, Ukraine impeachment in 2019 and then essentially came back on steroids as part of the 2020 election censorship operation. But, you know, from their perspective, I mean, it certainly looks like the perfect crime. These were the people DHS at the time had actually federalized much of, of the national election uh, um, uh, administration through this January 6, 2017 uh, uh, executive order from outgoing Obama um, DHS head Jed Johnson, uh, which essentially wrapped all 50 states up into a formal DHS partnership. So DHS was simultaneously in charge of the administration of the election in many respects and the censorship of anyone who challenged the administration <laughs> of the election. It turns out that Operation Destroy Trump started long before Trump won in 2016 because Trump was only part of a growing fear of uprisings like Brexit, driven mostly by social media. But Trump's win erased the line between the U.S. meddling in foreign countries and brought it back home to the United States. It probably wouldn't have mattered which political party was in power. It would have played out the same way. It just so happens that it's the left, not the right, that colonized the Internet. And it's on the left where all the money and power is now concentrated. The last time we saw a power alignment like the one we're living through now was in the 1950s, a post-war American utopia that was likewise driven by fear and paranoia, with McCarthyism and blacklists. The difference is we have no Eisenhower now, a man who would ultimately see how destructive and divisive it was becoming and shut it down. For podcast listeners, a graphic, totalitarianism. Totalitarianism is a form of government in which the national government takes control of all aspects of both public and private life. Thus, totalitarianism seeks to erase the line between government and society. It has an ideology and set of beliefs that all citizens are expected to approve. It is often led by a dynamic leader and a single political party. Mass communication technology helps a totalitarian government spread its aims and support its policies. Also, surveillance technology makes it possible to keep track of the activities of many people. Finally, violence, such as police terror, discourages those who disagree with the goals of the government. Trump had every opportunity to turn America into a police state in the summer of 2020. He didn't. He had every opportunity to lock her up. He didn't. He could have jailed political protesters calling them terrorists. He didn't. We don't have mainstream journalists who care about getting the truth anymore. They know they will lose everything. We don't have writers like Rod Serling and Arthur Miller. We have only obedient thought robots who accept the party line and never ask questions. That's why it was such a relief to hear Mike Benz finally validate what many of us have known since 2020. Yes, they rigged the election. Yes, they knew Biden would win in advance. 
Yes, they censored speech via social media with the sole purpose of pushing the mail-in ballot scheme on their obedient flock. They censored and silenced Trump supporters, American citizens, all to install Joe Biden and remove Trump. Racists, rapists everywhere. When it came to coordinating the four indictments against Trump and the civil trials, they cast their melodrama with mostly black prosecutors, judges, and DAs. If they are female, all the better, because now they're not only aiming at their party's base, but they believe some higher justice has been delivered onto Trump for the two causes of mass hysteria in the U.S. over the past seven years, racism and rape. Podcast listeners, a picture of A.G. Letitia James, D.A. of Fulton County, Fonnie Willis, and District Judge Tanya Chutkin. They're punishing Trump the same way they convicted suspected communists in the 1950s and accused witches in 1692. Spectral evidence is what you can't see but only suspect. Trump and his supporters have been convicted on the lie that they're angry white supremacists which has given Democrats a license to dehumanize them and violate their fundamental rights. Because all of it exists in their insulated, isolated bubble, they think it plays well among most Americans. I can assure you, it doesn't. For podcast listeners, two headlines. The first from the New York Times, a $450 million blow to Trump's finances and his identity. A huge penalty for deceiving lenders about the value of his properties and his own net worth, if upheld, leaves Donald J. Trump in perilous financial position. And from the New York Post, Kevin O'Leary slams Trump's civil ruling as un-American and a shock to the entire real estate industry. So, Kevin, what did you think of Governor Hochul saying this is like a unique one and done because Donald Trump went too far and was so nefarious? Uh, You guys, if you're just doing what you should be doing, you have nothing to worry about. But they're very worried about it. Yeah, we're very worried. Every investor is worried because where is the victim? Who lost money? This is some arbitrary decision a judge made. This policy and what this says, what does this say about the bar, the legal bar in New York? Aren't they going to question this judge? What is this? $355 million and there's dollars as a a penalty and there's plus interest at 9% and there's no victim? I mean... I'm sorry, her her words fall on deaf ears to everybody. There's nothing she can say to justify this decision. And this has nothing to do with Trump. Nothing to do with Trump. Forget about Trump. This is not a Trump situation. This is a New York problem now. The whole world is looking at this saying, what are you doing to yourselves? The Democrats are so arrogant, so cut off from ordinary Americans. They can't see they've made Trump every bit the martyr that Alexei Navalny was. Because no matter how chaotic and unpredictable he might be, Americans remember what he was like when he served for one term. For podcast listeners, a headline from Spectator by Freddie Gray. If Donald Trump is re-elected, thank Letitia James. I don't know how much more the people can take. I can't help but think of the quote about the Russian Revolution by Grand Duke Alexander Mikhailovich. Quote, The last spectacular ball in the history of the empire but a new and hostile Russia glared through the large windows of the palace. While we danced, the workers were striking, and the clouds in the Far East were hanging dangerously low. 
crazy clown car. It's possible that by the end of all this, the Democrats will regret having gone down this road with a cast of characters that are, shall we say, not quite ready for prime time. We have the crazy lady, E. Jean Carroll, whose improvisational storytelling takes her to strange places that often contradict the claims made by Trump, like, it wasn't sexual violence, it was a fight. Or, we didn't say anything because we were so hot for each other. And I think of all the women who are enduring constant sexual violence. So this one instant, this one, what, three minutes in this little dressing room, I just say it's a fight. That way, I'm not the victim. You don't feel like a victim. I was not thrown out on the ground and ravished. Which, the word rape carries so many sexual connotations. This was not, this was not sexual. It just, it, it hurt. It just, what, it just, you know. Well, I think most people think of rape as a, I mean, it is a violent assault. It is not I think sexual. most people think of rape as being sexy. Mm. Let's take a short break. Think of the fantasies. Mm. We're just going to take a quick break. If you can stick around, we'll talk more on the other side. You're fascinating to talk to. <laughs> then there's Fonnie Willis, who was so sure no one would care what she did, just so long as she charged Trump with something in Georgia, that she went on a spending spree with her boyfriend traveling all over the world. And let's not forget the best supporting actress, the grand jury foreperson herself. And on the one question that we are all wondering about, did the special grand jury recommend an indictment against the former president? Take a listen. Did the grand jury recommend an indictment of former President Trump? I'm not going to speak on exact indictments. Would we be surprised? Are there bombshells of who is I being don't recommended think, for indictment? I don't think that there are any giant plot twists coming. I don't think that there are any, like, giant... That's not the way I expected this to go at all. I, I don't think that's in store for anyone. So nothing that would surprise people who have been following this? Uh, probably not. Um, I wouldn't want to characterize anyone else's reaction, of course. But, so that was something we heard a lot in testimony. Um, but probably not. It probably wouldn't shock you. I would not expect you to be too shocked, no. And that includes of the former president, potentially? Potentially. It might. Trump caught a lucky break that those are lunatics straight out of central casting. But we should not lose sight of what our country has become, where it's taken our Justice Department, courts, and media. This is a dangerous precedent the American people should unanimously reject. Make America Great Again Probably they figured they could dispense with Trump easily enough. They hired foreign intelligence agencies to spy on him. The FBI sent dozens of informants to embed themselves in the Trump administration. But everything they tried to do kept blowing up in their face, Keystone Cop style. Because whatever Trump is to them, that isn't what he is to the millions of Americans who support him. He spends hours just talking to them. And when his already too long rally is about to come to a close, his audience begs him to stay. How many politicians can you say that about? So, we're coming to the end of a beautiful evening in a beautiful place. In conclusion, 
Together we're taking somebody said yeah. Keep going. No, no, don't stop. Don't stop. Don't stop. Don't stop, please. Don't stop, sir. Please keep going. Please. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, it shows you you're desperate to hear from somebody because this other guy never gets up and talks. If he talks for like a minute, he goes, uh, uh. By the time a long Trump rally nears its end, we've heard him joke with the front row Joes and the ladies from North Carolina, and he's done the poem, The Snake, and he's made many jokes at his own expense, the music begins to play. And that's when his supporters know it's almost over. We are a nation that has lost its confidence, willpower, and lost its strength. We are a nation that has quite simply lost its way. But we are not going to allow this horror to continue. Three years ago, we were a great nation, and we will soon be a great nation again. It was hardworking patriots like you who built this country, and it is hardworking patriots like you who are going to save our country. We will fight for America like no one has ever fought before. 2024 is our final battle. With you at my side, we will demolish the deep state. We will expel the warmongers from our government. We will drive out the globalists. We will cast out the communists, Marxists, and fascists. And we will throw off the sick political class that hates our countries. We will rout the fake news media. We will drain the swamp. And we will liberate our country from these tyrants and villains once and for all. Like those patriots before us, we will not bend. We will not break. We will not yield. We will never give in. We will never give up. We will never, ever, ever back down. With your support, we will go on to victory, the likes of which no one has ever seen before. We will evict Joe Biden from the White House. And we will take back our country on Election Day 2024. Crooked Joe Biden will be gone. The great silent majority is rising like never before. And under our leadership, the forgotten man and woman will be forgotten no longer. We are one movement, one people, one family, and one glorious nation under God. We are the greatest movement in the history of our country. We are MAGA. Make America great again. Together, we will make America powerful again. We will make America wealthy again. We will make America strong again. We will make America proud again. We will make America safe again. And we will make America great again. Thank you, South Carolina. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you all.
There is no politician in America right now that people love as much as they love Trump. The more our government, our cultural leaders, and our late-night comedians go after him, the more they love him. Most people miss that about MAGA rallies. This is a love story more than it is anything else. If Trump shares anything with the brave Navalny, it's this. He never backed down. Both men could have saved themselves. They could have stayed silent and said nothing. Navalny would still be alive and Trump would be playing golf somewhere, not fighting for his good name, legacy, and family fortune. The Democrats in their deep state have become the bad guys in the eyes of a growing number of people in this country. And now a new and hostile America is glaring through the large windows of the palace. Thank you for listening to my podcast, sashastone.substack.com. And remember, to thine own self, be true. Oh, where have you been, my blue-eyed son? Oh, where have you been, my darling young one? I've stumbled on side of twelve misty mountains. I've walked and I've crawled on six crooked highways. I've stepped in the middle of seven sad forests I've been out in front of a dozen dead oceans I've been ten thousand miles in the mouth of a graveyard And it's hard, it's hard, it's hard, it's hard, it's hard It's gonna fall Sick
Singing, and it's hard. It's hard. 